episode of Progress, Potential, and Possibilities, discussions with fascinating people designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Uh, welcome, everybody, again to a, another episode of our show with another truly fascinating individual helping to create a better tomorrow for all of us. Uh, we are honored today to be joined uh, by Brett Vaughn, who is the United States Navy Chief Artificial Intelligence Officer and also Artificial Intelligence Portfolio Manager at the Office of Naval Research. Uh, Brett has 30 years of defense intelligence and technology expertise with strength in military support, strategic communications, geospatial intelligence, naval intelligence, and Navy R&D. Uh, Brett spent two decades in various roles at the, uh, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, uh, an additional 10 years uh, in intelligence roles uh, in the Office of the Chief of Naval Operations, and he was recently appointed to his current role uh, as head of AI at ONR in 2019. Uh, Brett has master's degrees in environmental science from Johns Hopkins uh, in national security and strategic studies at the Naval War College, and his bachelor's degree uh, was in geography and cartography from University of Mary Washington. And just as a little background, uh, from some previous discussions, the uh, United States Office of Naval Research Organization within the, uh, the U.S. Department of the Navy, responsible for science and technology programs at the U.S. Navy Marine Corps. Uh, it was established back in 1946 to plan, foster, and encourage scientific research uh, and has a, a long prestigious history, including the, uh, the development of the first uh, United States radar systems, the first synthetic lubricants, uh, and surveillance satellites. Uh, Brett Vaughan, thank you for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to come talk to us a little bit today. My pleasure, Ira. Happy to be here. Looking forward to it. Great, great. Thank you so much. Um, uh, typically, Brett, we, we, we like to start off by handing our guests the floor just for a little bit to talk about themselves. If you could uh, take a, a few minutes uh, to uh, introduce yourself, talk a little bit about your background and a little bit of your path uh, to date, starting from uh, being a cartographer uh, in, in Virginia Beach to uh, ultimately this extremely important Office of Defense and Security Sciences. That'd be a great way to get going. Okay, sure. Um, so I am um, born and raised in uh, Hampton, Virginia. Uh, for folks not familiar with the area, that's down the Tidewater region. If you go to Richmond, Virginia and head towards Williamsburg, you'll hit Newport News, then you'll hit Hampton at the end of the peninsula across the water is Norfolk and Virginia Beach. Norfolk, of course, the home of the, the Navy, our Navy fleet. Um, so I spent a lot of time around the water growing up and, and probably partially explains my uh, my fascination and wonder with uh, the sea services and the ocean. Also, my father was a, a World War II veteran that uh, in the Navy that, that probably played a role as well. Um, always loved the beach, loved the water. Um, so grew up in Hampton, um, went to college at the University of Mary Washington. It was Mary Washington College at the time I was there. Um, I actually went uh, with the intention of being an art major. Hmm. Uh, it was interesting and, and a, a kind of an interesting story about how that changed. But um, I've, I've shifted over in the course of my first year towards geography. Um, I, I took some Russian language. Um, uh, it's, it's, it was a really interesting mix. I, I, I think I gravitated towards geography because... I was fascinated with sciences, but I also wanted to keep that artistic piece along with it. And I saw cartography and geography. Back then, 
we actually did draw maps by hand and it was not a lot of computers and, and, and digital cartography like we have today but um so there was an artistic element to it so um i went down that path one of the the people that was a big influence in my life there was my geography advisor my professor there uh richard palmieri who uh, uh was uh major influence on me. He did most of his graduate work in Nepal uh, and um, with that region of the um, of the globe. And it was just fascinating. And he was just a wonderful character. But um, anyway, if you were a geography major at Mary Washington, uh, nine out of 10 majors would end up working for what was then the Defense Mapping Agency when you graduated. Um, so that was the tra trajectory I was, I was headed on. Um, after I graduated, I had to wait to get my security clearance. There was a rather lengthy period there where, where you, where you wait for that. So that explains why I, I went back to Virginia beach while I was waiting and, uh, took a job as a cartographer for the city of Virginia beach, um, uh, for about a year. That was a, a fascinating and, and a very fun time for me. Um, and then once I got my clearance, I came back up to uh, you know, the Northern Virginia area and Washington DC and started with uh, the Defense Mapping Agency. Um, I started, my initial jobs were on the cartography mapping side. Um, and then um, after about probably seven years, uh, I shifted into more of a, a military liaison role uh, with the agency. That's when I first uh, took a duty station in the Pentagon with the joint staff. Um, I spent about uh, six, seven years doing that and then went to the Naval War College. After that, um, uh, I took a job as a liaison to the Navy staff. That's how I come, came to the Navy. Um, I did that for about uh, uh, it again in in the uh, in the in the mapping and cartography realm, but more in the satellite imagery realm. So when I became a liaison with the Navy, most of my work was devoted to remote sensing, satellite imagery, and that side of cartography and mapping, uh, rather than the the map making side. Um, and then I think it was about uh, 2010 is when I. Um, I shifted over to Navy science and technology, uh, did that for about nine or 10 years. At the tail end of that, uh, became steeped in artificial intelligence, which um, leads me to where I am now. So I came over here, I've been in this job almost two years now. It'll be two years, I think, in uh, in, in the March timeframe. So um, that explains sort of how I got here, um, a rather uh, odd, trajectory uh you won't find it was not planned out that way it, <laughs> um i don't think any <laughs> I, you can't I, I it's hard to replicate but uh it works for me uh i certainly uh, i have very little regrets i've been very happy with my career um i took a couple erratic turns at the in the initial stages but i was able to um I think uh, do a good job at leveraging uh, both the good and the bad and steer myself to a course that I think is, is good for me and I hope is uh, good for the Navy and the nation as well. So. 
Outstanding, outstanding. I, I really appreciate that background. And uh, you know, when I when I um, I listen to you and then I, I look at um, sort of your portfolio, I, I'm rather amazed by uh, when I talk to thought leaders like yourself. And I, you know, I had uh, several months ago I had the opportunity to uh, to meet uh, Patrick Patrick Rose and ONR Synthetic Biology Group, uh, another sort of broad domain there. Uh, your artificial intelligence portfolio when sort of just looking through it. I mean, it's an extremely broad uh, purview, uh, everything from photonics to power and energy to quantum sciences. Um, you know, I've seen things from uh, everything from how you control power on, a, a, I guess, an aircraft carrier to, to laser beams and, uh, and so forth. Um, could you take us through a general overview of, of the AI office at ONR uh, and sort of, you know, <laughs> it's a question, but sort of, how you decide to do what you do on a, any given day. You know, uh, you know what, when you come into the office, what do you decide to work on, who your customers are? And then also, if, if you don't mind, because next week we're gonna be meeting with somebody from um, uh, the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center, or JIC, uh, how you liaise between the, the Navy and this uh, sort of new area at the Pentagon that is sort of uh, at the epicenter of all the AI that's going on. Sure. So. Um... So first, I'll, I'll tell you that, that my the AI portfolio is really, uh, it, it could be the entire Navy portfolio. The, the potential of AI is literally infinite. Um, anything that involves information has a potential for AI application. And, and that's a good way to look at AI. I never start with, with AI. I always start with a problem or a challenge and then um, inspect that, dissect that and find uh, is there an aspect of that problem mission or function and a problem or a challenge associated with that that lends itself to the application of AI that gets me to what ends up in my job jar really in the the AI priorities for the Navy um, it's AI is a, it's by its very nature an embedded technology it's an enabling technology it's not a standalone uh, thing at least in, in my eyes. Um, so if you, um, so, you know, writ large, the way we do technology, Navy technology, Navy science and technology is um, we examine our, our full range of capabilities. We look at them through several lenses, doctrine, organization, training, materiel, personnel, um, logistics facilities. Um, those pro and some problems aren't solved by technology, obviously. They aren't technologic, you know, problems. They, they may be solved by just doing things differently, right? Doctrine or organization. For those problems or challenges that are, that are materiel-based, that, that, that require technology uh, to be developed and, 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 and fielded, that's really where ONR comes in, Office of Naval Research. So we are working with the rest of the Navy, Navy staff, to examine our, our, the, the capabilities the Navy brings to the nation to man, train, and equip a naval force, uh, focus on those, those issues or challenges or, or leap ahead opportunities that are technology focused or based. And then that's where we go in and go after that. So Dr. Rose and all the other folks you mentioned at ONR are tackling those other technology-based areas that, that will, will either advance us in a certain sector or fill a gap or a need that we have. 
for AI, it's um, so y- you hit the nail right on the head. It's a <laughs> my my purview is very broad. It's it, there's a lot going on. It's a very huge landscape. Um, my bandwidth is 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 a is a is a is a very it's a limiting factor. Um, I wish I had an army of folks. I don't, but um, my job is really to help. Um, I, I rely on a whole fleet of folks in the Navy. Uh, again, since the potential is so broad, almost everybody working in those areas, uh, I view as a partner, a potential partner or, or team member. So my job principally is to develop our strategy for where we apply AI um, with what limited and valuable resources we have, and then make the connections between all the folks that need to come together to effectively develop those AI capabilities and field them and deploy them. Um, for, for ONR in our R&D portfolio, really there's, there's, there's probably um, two areas that uh, represent a significant um, uh, uh, sectors of where we're really focused uh, or the lion's share of AI interest in development is right now. That would be, um, well, there's three. I'll say there's three. So one, we want to we wanna develop and apply AI to help reduce toil in the service. And that's in the fleet, in the back office. There are things we do as you and I and anybody that works in an office or works with, you know, spreadsheets or, or uh, you know, Microsoft Word, any of those documents or, or digital tools. There's, there, there are types of AI that can be used to just relieve, you know, dull, drudgery, you know, repetitive tasks, right, and, and make us more efficient in our work day, day in, day out. Uh, that's one. Uh, two would be the application of AI that uh, fuels some level of autonomy in an unmanned system or, 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 or program or platform somewhere. So an unmanned aerial vehicle, an unmanned surface vessel, an unmanned undersea vessel, vessel robotics, right? What the general public would uh, see as robotics. So AI that fuels some level of autonomy in an unmanned system. Um, and then the last area is uh, AI that uh, fuels uh, some stripe of a uh, decision aid. So maybe a piece of code or, or, or something that manifests itself in an aid to the human in making a decision, not making the decision for the human, but helping a, dis- a human make a better, faster decision uh, by, si- by more effectively sifting through information. Helping the humans nug through what could be a, a rather heavy set of or a, a, of data or fast flowing information, right, and making sense of it faster in a more effective way. So really, those are the three bigger and those three areas. They unpack. Uh, you'd be surprised. They unpack into a lot of different uh, features and programs and elements that are in play in the Navy today. But if at a high level. What I can discuss with you, that's a that's a pretty good, those three buckets uh, are pretty good representation of where we uh, we're focused on applying AI. Excellent. Oh, oh, and the Jake, I forgot about the Jake. So so if you look at what we're doing with AI, um, 
the Navy has actually been involved with AI since the inception of the discipline in the 50s, 60s. I think you'd be surprised. You mentioned ONR's roots go back to the 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, we, in the 80s, uh, are, we established, the Navy established the Navy Center for Applied Research in Artificial Intelligence. It's at the Naval Research Lab. It's not far from here uh, across the Potomac, uh, at the Naval Research Lab. That's where our AI experts live uh, day to day. That's where our 80,000 pound brains on AI reside. And they're part of my, they're a crucial part of my team. So anyone in the Navy that needs help with you know, AI expertise, those are the guys I reach out to and, and bring into the conversation. Um, they've been involved and engaged with the development of the, um, the National AI Strategy, the DOD AI Strategy. And, and, the, and the development and stand up and implementation of the Joint AI Center, right? But so why do we need a Joint AI Center or, or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, it, we, we have a, if you look across the Department of Defense, you see a very similar condition to the Navy and I think the other services. For years, we've been working, really smart folks have been working on AI within their little part of the world or their silo. Um, but if you really want to um, put the throttle over on AI and, and realize economies at scale at a level where you're really, really moving out on AI at a, at a, at a corporate and, and enterprise-wide level, those many folks need to be, there, there are certain resources that they could, could and should be sharing as they develop and, and use AI. Data, uh, algorithms, models, um, catalogs, other tools. Um, long story short, what the Jake provides is an environment and a set of resources to help anyone working in the department uh, share those assets, right? So that's how, we, that's how we start to really scale AI in the department and, and, and take it up out of a singular application um, space into a broad, uh, you know, and start cross-pollinating, you know, lessons learned, algorithms, so folks don't have to reinvent the wheel, so to speak, in sure. other areas. They can, we can reuse and leverage and just uh, create an environment that spreads the knowledge and the resources uh, across the enterprise. So, Jake is um, Jake's been up and running for a couple of years now. We uh, we have Navy and Marine Corps folks that sit at the Jake and, and help that place run. Um, I work with them to make sure the Navy can best effectively leverage the, the both technologic uh, resources that Jake provides, but I think more importantly the the knowledge capital that they provide. Um, they, they also provide, a, a, so they're like a management and consultant AI firm for the Department of Defense for all the services, right? Mm-hmm. So we work with them routinely. I've worked with those folks uh, uh, since they've since they stood up, and, and and every not a day goes by that I don't talk to somebody to Jake about either a specific initiative or a way to better equip uh, the Navy for AI. So I guess, I guess that's um, that's probably the uh, the oh and if you look in their portfolio you'll see um, you know going back to my roots um, a lot some of the work they've 
they've been doing recently, just to give an example, um, AI, computer vision types of AI for uh, humanitarian assistance, disaster relief, the fires out in California, right? So, mm-hmm. so using satellite imagery to more effectively map those fires and figure out where they're where they are, where they're headed, who's at risk, things like that. That that was that was a, the topic of my graduate research paper, actually, the remediation of natural hazards and disasters through remote sensing and geographic information systems. So um, it's funny when over the course of my career, I kind of went away from mapping and, and satellite imagery. And when I came to the Na- uh, the Navy and took on the S and T job, and I haven't gone back there much since, but now. One of the most um, mature and, and, and talked about types of AI is that computer vision algorithm stripe of AI that's applied to satellite imagery. So I'm kind of, in some respects, going right back to where I came from uh, in a, at a certain part of my career. Very cool. Really cool stuff. Um, continuing along those lines, I mean, obviously, you know, that, that is, uh, that's one type of uh, application uh, that I was near near and dear to you and makes a lot of sense, both from a, uh, a, a naval perspective, but also for sort of a dual use, uh, say for the for the American public and and, and so forth. Um, other, to, to the extent you can talk about them, other uh, interesting technologies, you mentioned some of the unmanned stuff. I don't know if that just means drones or can you make an aircraft carrier? go on its own and do stuff. Um, other areas that you can talk about that aren't top secret or whatever um, that you're most excited about looking out, say the next five years or so. Uh, yeah. So, you know, can you, can you make care, you know, fully autonomous? Uh, I think at some point you probably could. Um, folks in the, um, in the commercial sector are looking at fully autonomous care, um, you know, uh, freight freighters, you know, the big, the big freight ships, mm-hmm. uh, they're certainly headed that way. Um, but you know, for us in the Navy, in the, in the, for the foreseeable future, our intent with AI is not to replace humans, but rather make them better, augment them. Um, there are, um, there are certainly some platforms where taking a human out of the loop is advantageous and, and desired, where it's a very dangerous or uh, it's an environment that's, for one reason or another, very risky to a human. Uh, you know, down the depth of the ocean is a very dangerous place to work. If we can you know, take the human out of that loop and do a better job with a, an unmanned platform, we, we plan to do that. We, um, But, uh, you know, the 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 biggest uh, the biggest uh, thing I can tell you is that yeah it's uh, some people do I, I think uh, probably mistakenly uh, think there's a big effort to replace humans wholesale uh, I don't view it that way part of my strategic objective is is to is to fully augment uh, right. or optimize the humans through the use and the application of artificial intelligence that could manifest itself in a, uh, an unmanned partner to a human, that might be a pilot in a plane who has an unmanned aircraft alongside of him, uh, helping out with part of his mission. Uh, it could be an unmanned vessel at sea. You mentioned a carrier. We don't, we're not looking at a fully autonomous carrier yet, but um, 
We do have Sea Hunter, which is a rather large vessel. It's a little over a hundred feet. Uh, it's an unmanned. It's a ship. It's an unmanned ship. It's intended to be fully autonomous and unmanned. Um, we're working our way there. I think the key for AI is um, if you look at uh, the drones that are flying around today and a lot of the unmanned systems and platforms. Very few of them are fully autonomous. Uh, they're, they're either remotely piloted or they have some level of autonomy. Um, that amping up that level of autonomy in those systems and really taking true advantage of their potential is what's a, one of the things that's exciting to me for AI. Uh, you're not going to do that without AI. Mm -hmm. uh, the better, the more sophisticated your AI the better, more capable, and sophisticated your, the autonomy in an unmanned system will be. So I am excited about seeing all those remotely piloted things or things that still pretty much require either a single or several people to operate, and a lot of them still do. You'd be surprised. We call them unmanned, but there's a lot of men and women working to make those things operate. Um, I, I'm excited to see us relieve those folks where we can, where it makes sense, and, and let those systems really break out and, and create a true advantage and potential for us. Um, and also on the decision aid side, I'm, I'm excited about, um, you know, the, the, there's a, a lot of people talk about the, the wealth of information that exists in the world today and, and the ever-increasing number of everything that is a sensor that can start collecting data now. If you look at it, our, our lives are just uh, replete with devices that pull in data. Mm -hmm. um, I'm excited about AI algorithms that can help us sift through and leverage that information in better ways, faster across the board, whether that's in the ship at sea or in the back office uh, or everywhere in between. You're a dismounted Marine or a Navy SEAL, all of that. It, it's very exciting to me. Um, so, uh, yeah, so th there's not a lot of areas I, I can tell you about. Sea Hunter's one of them that, that makes a lot of the news that's out there. We, DARPA, it, that's that project started out at DARPA. Okay. Uh, ONR has recently acquired it, now manages it. Um, but um, there's a lot of other efforts like that, but you know, that's in a nutshell. Um, again, I fall back to it's either, you know, we're trying to reduce toil for the human, um, um, raise a level of autonomy in an unmanned system for many different reasons or purposes, um, or a decision aid. And just uh, just one more example on the unmanned system. Please. You know, if, if I can take a robot and, and, and build that robot so it can uh, scrape the barnacles off the hull of a ship while it's in port, mm. um, I'll bet the guy that had that job before that would be would love to be relieved of that duty or that 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 job and would welcome the introduction of a robot or an unmanned system that could do that job uh, close to what the human could just close good enough to be good. So absolutely, anyway. I think he's AI to figure out what to do with the barnacles. There might be some. <laughs> there you go. Some use oh, for it one exactly. day. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, you know, you mentioned earlier, Brett, uh, the uh, the Naval Research Lab, which is sort of your internal sort of corporate research lab at the Navy. Um, 
I, I also, you know, when you I read at the ONR website, you also do a lot of uh, collaboration with universities and, and other laboratories. And I've also seen this in some of my discussions with like some of the folks at DARPA and uh, at, at the Ensign group. Uh, do you carry out a lot of external partnered research on AI with, with say other universities? And then if you do, um, are there any interesting um, surprises of uh, different labs or universities in the United States that are really good at naval artificial intelligence applications that we may not normally think of? Uh, is there a group in like Iowa somewhere that's really <laughs> good at creating? I, I don't, I'm just pulling that out of the sky, but please. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so the, the actually a lot of people would probably be surprised that that not a lot, probably none of the actual research gets done here at ONR. We're more of a, 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 a not an investment firm, but eh, maybe we or write the, the capitalist, yeah. <laughs> right? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We so we decide what gets worked on. We write the checks, and then what we call performers actually do the work, the research. Uh, those performers. We have government performers, we have acad academia are a set of our performers, and industry are our performers, right? So when we award a contractor grant, it's typically either, uh, it could be done at the Naval Research Lab, that's their, our in-house performer set, right? In, inside the Office of Naval Research, they're our lab. Um, but it could be done by another lab uh, somewhere else in the Navy in the government side, it could be done at one of our uh, university accredited research centers, our UARCs, um, like Johns Hopkins mm -hmm. or uh, University of Hawaii, University of Texas. Uh, um, and I, I'll one of those, Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab is, they're doing some, some a lot of work in AI. They're doing some very interesting work uh, in artificial toes for the Navy. Another one that uh, recently has got me pretty excited, um, our Naval Surface Warfare Center uh, crane out in um, Indiana. You, you said Iowa, but in, it's close. Indiana, uh, okay. there, you wouldn't think, you know, uh, yeah. you know, a Navy lab in Indiana, but um, they're doing some really interesting and compelling um, AI-related work out there, um, especially in the area of... Um, of how we perceive the electromagnetic spectrum and, and leverage that and sift through that type of uh, information and data. So, uh, and, and, and they just recently, we just put or established at Crane, the, um, I'm gonna get this name wrong, but um, I think it's called ARI, the AI, Ready, AI Readiness Infrastructure. It's a high performance compute um, asset and resource that is, um, that, that any Navy developer or researcher working on AI can leverage, but it's housed uh, at uh, NSWC Crane right now. Um, and then our, our, you know, I would be, uh, and Carnegie Mellon, we, we actually have a, um, we have an active education partnership agreement with Carnegie Mellon. Of course, they're one of the nation's premier academic institutions for, um, for, for AI research. Um, we work with them, um, in several areas, uh, they're, um, uh, 
uh, Software Engineering Institute, which uh, has for years been helping the government and the DOD um, do a better job of developing and deploying software and computers. Uh, they came about, you know, in the years when uh, a while ago when, you know, we were uh, building and flying jets and got to the point where we realized we're really not so much building and flying jets as we are building and flying computers. And, and we needed to think of in their, them being engineered that way. That was sort of the genesis of the Carnegie Mellon SEI. Um, so we work with them on, um, actually, it's a fascinating line of effort called AI engineering. In other words, what does the discipline of AI look like? It's, 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 it's really, a, to a lot of people, it's a dark art. It's, mm. it's this mysterious alchemy, right? It's, it's part software engineering. It's, it's part math and stats and, and code. And how do you bring all the pieces together? How do you write the code? How do you develop AI? How do you deploy it? There's, there's really no formal discipline. So we're working with Carnegie to, 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 to do that. To, to examine the discipline of AI and start codifying the, the skill sets, the expertise, the knowledge someone would need. And then like we have general engineering principles, software engineering principles. What, so what are the AI engineering principles that we should be mindful of and, and be uh, employing as we do AI? So that's one area of Carnegie Mellon. And then there's another area that I work closely with um, that work strategy and national security. So I, I use the folks there to, to as a sanity check when I develop Navy AI strategy. I, I, I use Carnegie Mellon, that, that strategic office to kind of, you know, am I, am I on the right course? Am I, you know, gonna stray here? Those guys have both uh, the national security gray matter as well as a, you know, their heavy duty um, AI experts as, as well. Um, and then I'd, I'd be really remiss if I didn't mention to round out our set of performers is industry. Um, they're super critical. That's where a lot of the advancements in AI are, are today. They're the leading edge. Uh, the, 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 advanced, the reason we're seeing a lot of AI today and you hear about AI and, it, and it's, it's in our lives now is really based on uh, breakthroughs that industry has made over the last decade and things like uh, big data analytics, um, improved algorithms and, and, and parallel computing, cheap parallel processing. Um, those three breakthroughs really unleashed AI on the world over the last decade or so. So now you, that's what's driving your Netflix recommender or, you know, the, the, a, the, the Google search engines or the, the, your Amazon, your, you know, Tesla, you know, when Tesla sure. can, the car breaks down, they can send out a patch that goes to all the vehicles that they've built and deployed. I mean, the kind of, that kind of AI is, um, it's been, um, it's been exciting to watch, but it was, those successes are born largely on the back of advancements in industry over the last decade or so. So industry is a, a critical partner for us in how we both uh, not just develop and deploy the technology itself, but for me, um, how we change the way, and I'm talking as government now, as a, as a federal person who's, you know, the Navy is a largely industrial animal. 
Mm-hmm. We are in the process of shifting to a digital animal, right? That's, but that's, that's not where our comfort zone right now. We're, we're still learning that. We have a lot of organizational process and cultural related changes to make to be successful in AI. For me, the, the greatest challenge and the greatest opportunity and the, the, the keystone for us being successful in AI is more, more cultural than it is technological. Mm. For sure. But I, I look at industry and, and when I talk to a Google or an Amazon, I spend most of my time talking with them about how do you how do you decide what to work on? Once you've decided, what does that project team look like? What are they doing? How, how does it operate? How does an idea rise in the organization? Where do you divest? Where do you invent? How do you decide to go left, right or, you know, forward on something or maybe stop doing something, right? We're, um, we are, and I think the whole government is, is traditionally notoriously bad about stopping, killing, you know, projects or programs. There's an aversion, right? We're, sure. we're, 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 we're stewards of the taxpayer's dollars. So we don't, it's, it's, it's not in our nature to work on something for five years and then toss it to the side or, or you know, that's just not in our nature. But um, I think, where AI is concerned, um, we have to start thinking in those terms to be more nimble and agile and flexible and more uh, dynamic digital denizens to get AI right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Brett, earlier on, you you mentioned, um, I, I think it was one of your professors um, who was a major influence on you in terms of the cartography um, work. Um to me, I have this wrap-up question about other important uh, mentors, influencers, and they can be professors you've had, but obviously you've met uh, probably a wide range of people in government, uh, at the Pentagon, in, in industry, as you liaise with these different groups. Uh, take some time, if you would, to, uh, to mention, shout out to other important people in these initiatives uh, that have been really key in, in crafting your uh, leadership of these programs. Uh, yeah, so... Um, I, I mentioned uh, Richard Palmieri. He's 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 passed away several years ago, but um, he's just a really wonderful guy. And is you know in the you know in our seminars and everything, he was he was um, not only a brilliant man. I think with a his focus was human geography, so he he loved focusing and researching the Nepalese people and and and, and on that culture. And interestingly enough. Um, I just thought he's probably had this impact or effect on me. I didn't even realize it, but when I sit down, like especially in the winter to watch uh, sports, um, it's tough now. I'm, I'm a big baseball fan. I like baseball. That's what I'll watch day in, day out when it, when they're playing. Uh, but now I watch skiing, and, and I, I like anything to do with mountains, mountaineering, and, and, and skiing, especially downhill skiing. And um, I, Probably at some point, that's that's one of those connections that was made, but I just, he was just an all around great guy, terrific, fascinating individual. He went to Nepal several times over his career, spent a lot of time there. And um, his, um, it was his, um, the way he cherished the people of Nepal was the thing that struck me that, you know, he just loved the people, the culture there. And it, it, it's a, it made, it made everything else he, um, he taught us um, very interesting and engaging. Um, so he was one. Um, my research professor, um, B. 
Bjorn Gunnarsson, who was a volcanologist from Iceland. Mm. Uh, he grew up in Iceland. He was he he played a, a very significant role in my career um, in the later stages. Um, and obviously, he was my advisor on my research project. Um, but not a lot of, um, I, you know, the, the person that ever said no man's an island, they, they, they definitely didn't talk to me. I, I'm the world's worst introvert. I, I get my energy from, um, you know, thinking and, and being within myself for the most part. I'll, I'll take a fire in a good book any day over a dinner party or something else or, you know, to my wife's chagrin a play or a, a show or something. Um, Sounds like me. <laughs> so I, so I don't, I don't, I, I don't actively, you know, I don't have any real mentors. Um, I don't have a big set of folks who had a direct influence on me. Um, but I, you know, today um, I've got a, I would have to, you know, mention our, our previous uh, chief of Naval research general, David Hahn, um, he had a terrific influence on me. Um, I wouldn't be here talking to you today were it not for him uh, reaching out to me when I was at OpNav. And when I was in OpNav, I was pretty much set to retire there on that in that job, more than likely on that track with the Navy staff. Um, until Admiral Hahn approached me and um, he, he actively... <laughs> actively, I guess, recruited me to come over and, and lead the AI portfolio for him over here at the Office of Naval Research. He was a, he was a, he, he is, he is an interesting individual. He's got, he's not a gigantic physical specimen of a man, but he has an absolute command presence when he walks in a room. I dealt with him several times in my previous job and, um, he always took pride in being a disruptor and having a disruptive effect, but I think it was always for the better. Um, I was in a meeting with uh, members of Congress once with him and, and they asked, they asked him to describe himself. And he said, I like to describe myself as the grit in the oyster. <laughs> you know, I'll, you're going to get a pearl at the end of the day, but there's going to be some friction there on the way. So uh, I was, that, that comment always stuck with me, but, um, but if, were it not for him bringing me over here, um, and he was a great man to work for, um, um, uh, I wouldn't be here. I w and I wouldn't have this this job, or um, and, and this job I consider to be surely the capstone or the pinnacle of my career, more than likely. Um, there is a lot of work to do ahead of me. I don't want to leave it until I, I think I've, I've made a significant uh, amount of headway for the service because I think it is important. I think there's a lot of impact that that AI can have on the way that the Navy operates and the way our our our, our sailors and Marines think and operate. And um, I'm thank I'm, I'm I'm forever thankful to Admiral Han for for pushing me out of my comfort zone. Uh, and bringing me over into this, this, uh, this, uh, position. So, um, that's, um, that's, that's kind of maybe boring. I don't have a, you know, set of, you know, it's you know, Richard Branson or this or whatever, yeah. but you know, this, <laughs> um, 
it just struck me. I was, you know, I just, uh, like I said, I'm an introvert and I, I love reading. Uh, um, you mentioned the war college. There's a whole host of professors that, um, I ran across there. That was a fabulous year of my career. Um, I learned a ton about, um, national security decision-making, the way the military operates and works and thinks. And, and one thing I love there was the, uh, Part of the curriculum there is the deep examination of his history. I love history as well. So I'm a big fan of, of you know, working for the Navy Midway. Um, sure. A lot of my projects are named after planes that were at Midway, you know, Devastator, Avenger. Uh, there's a telltale influence there. And, and I'll, if I go back in history to think of influencers, um, Nimitz, uh, sure. Spruance, both had a role in it. Nimitz is... Um, you know, his guidance of, uh, you know, to the, the, the forces deploying for the Battle of Midway, you know, you'll be guided by the principle of calculated risk. It's, yeah. it's brilliant in its simplicity, but it's, you know, they, the folks knew exactly what they, the guardrails they had, and he just let them go and operate. I, I love that as, as a leader. Um, and Spruance was, you know, he's an introvert, like he was an introvert like us. He was a very quiet man, but wow, it, what a, you know, set of stones on him to make the decision he made, you know, to launch those planes knowing they might not come back or they were at the edge of their range. And then the, that, the, the whole impact that that one uh, episode had on the trajectory of the, our Navy and the nation in, the, in World War II was, it's fascinating to me. So I gravitate to folks like that. Um, on the more artistic side, I like Hemingway. Um, mm. And, um, um, Da Vinci too. I, da Vinci because uh, uh, I'm a multidisciplinary guy. You know, I was a liberal arts major. I like pulling uh, from a bunch of other disciplines to 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 find leap ahead intersections or places where you can create a step change. A big fan of the book, The Medici Effect. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I I believe firmly and deeply in that. So Leonardo and was an artist, uh, obviously a terrific artist, and, but a brilliant man, all, all sorts. That, that just uh, fascinates me. But um, yeah, so um, that's, that's, that's it, I guess. Um, and um, I know um, uh, could probably go on, but that's probably good enough for now. Uh, yeah. But um, hope it's, that, uh, uh, it's, it's fascinating. And, you know, it's, it's funny, I have a book somewhere around here called Learning from Leonardo. And it was it's interesting how much he studied the, uh, the water. <laughs> he got a lot of his uh, early right, yeah. inspiration about flow and the way, whether it's the human body or the oceans or whatever. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah he was a fascinating guy. And, and you'd be surprised how many times people bring up Leonardo da Vinci as, uh, as a major influencer. So that's not, uh, that's not unheard of. It's uh Really, really fascinating stuff, Brett. And I, uh, yeah, I mean, as you said, you have a lot to do. And um, <laughs> I really wishing you the best with all this and an amazing portfolio. Uh, going to keep you. an eye on it. And um, uh, for everybody that's going to be watching this episode or listening in the podcast, uh, you've been listening to Brett Vaughn, the United States Navy's Chief Artificial Intelligence Officer and the Artificial Intelligence Portfolio Manager at the Office of Naval Research. Uh, Brett, thank you for taking the, the time out of your schedule to talk to us and, and tell us everything that you're doing. Um, thanks for doing it and keeping the country safe. And as we say, uh, thank you for helping to create a better tomorrow. Uh, it's really 
quite fascinating uh, listening to you and, and envisioning what's going to be coming next in the coming years. Uh, really a great time. Thank you, Iron. Uh, my pleasure. Take care.